Like we said a little while ago, it's so good to have uh, Brother Nathan Dennis with us, a friend of ours from, I don't know, way, way, way back. And uh, he has also moved out of the uh, glorious state of California and uh, lives in Tennessee now. And uh, I know that the Lord is in Tennessee and he's in Oklahoma. I don't know where else, sir. You know. <laughs> but we're so happy to have him with us. And, uh, and again, so he'll be speaking tonight. So um, we'll be looking forward to that. Praise you, Lord Jesus. We had some good conversation uh, last night. And just think about the discussing of Scripture and points of view of the Scripture. And the, the Word of God, it is our foundation. Can you say amen? We preach and teach from where? From the words of the Lord. All Scripture that's inspired, given, given by inspiration, God breathed. It is good. Good for what? It's good for, good for doctrine and proof, instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, and we're going to include ladies there, that the women of God may be perfected, may be touched and moved and strengthened and helped. And so we pray this morning that as we bring the word of the Lord, you will be touched and strengthened by it. Amen. Go with me over, we're going to start in the book of Matthew. Somewhere where we never, never go. No, I'm just kidding. Matthew, the 16th chapter. Sometimes we preach and you get in there and your pages are stuck together. That means you haven't been there in a while, right? These pages are not stuck together. <laughs> we, we go here. Um, and so I want to just go back to, to establish a little something this morning. And I'm going to take out of the middle of Matthew 16, and I want to just go to just the one verse, and that's the 18th verse, and uh, so it says this, um, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not prevail against her. Wow. First Corinthians, uh, Paul wrote something that connects to this in the uh, 10th chapter, I think it is. Yes, the fourth verse. 10th chapter and the fourth verse, First Corinthians. And so in your Bible, it's okay. You write a little note there and then you go back to... to uh, Matthew 16, 18, you write a little note there, and it says, refer to 1 Corinthians 10.4, and then you go to 1 Corinthians 10.4, it says, refer back to Matthew 16, 18, so you can just go back and forth, but uh, here's the connection, and all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock following, and that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. So i got one more place I just want to touch on, and that is in the book of Acts, first chapter, 
11th verse. And no, not the 11th verse. The 8th verse. But you will receive power. The Holy Spirit coming upon you. And you will be witnesses of me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Lord, we thank you for this word this morning. I pray in advance that it will just feed us, touch us. Lord, you lead us into green pastures. Beside still waters, Lord, you cause us to eat and to drink. You said, lo, if you're hungry, lo, those that are thirsty, come to me. Come to me and eat and drink. And so, Lord, you are going to minister to the hungry this morning. Now, there may be some who are not hungry and will miss the good food. But I pray that we'll be open, that we'll hear and hear the good word of God this morning. Everyone agrees with that. Would you say amen? Amen, amen. I want to look into these verses a little bit and and try and establish something that we already know, but I want to build upon it this morning. You know that the uh, Word of God, the things of God, are line upon line. They are precept upon precept. If you don't have the basic precept, you will never understand the great and mighty precept. Because it is built like a house. The Lord refers so much to building. In his word. We believe that he was a builder physically. We they say carpenter, really an artisan. Could have been could have been with wood, could have been with rock, stone. Uh, but he was a builder, and so a lot of the metaphors, allegories that he leaves for us is about building. And so line upon line, pre, precept upon precept is a building concept. And you know that we're builders, and many of you here work in construction. And uh, you cannot build a house without a foundation. Sorry. Um, They used to do it. I'm sure there's some here in this area. Uh, I know that there's some towns in California that were, like, you know, way back, gold rush kind of towns. There were towns that were built around mills and millwork, and they just didn't bother to put foundations in them. Just throw some 4x4s or 6x6s down and build on that. But, oh, it didn't take too, too many years, I mean, until all of that gets rotten. So the Word of God sets for us something in stone, something concrete that we can build upon. Um, I think it was Paul that said, every man's work will be tried whether he built upon hay, stubble, wood, or if they built upon the solid rock. And, And so I'm just saying this is that our life has to be foundationally and fundamentally right. We, we spoke a little bit about end times last night. It doesn't do you an ounce of good to talk about end times unless your foundation is right. It, it's a waste of time. Because you can know all about 
found uh, all about the, the, the mysteries of end time. A lot of people think they do, but they're not founded in the right thing. And so I want to go back to that a little bit. I want to talk about the foundation of Christ, and I want to talk about a false opportunity that was seized. For the last few Sundays, we've been talking about opportunities, right? Anybody remember that? We've been talking about opportunities. Oh, yeah, I think I heard about that before. But there's an opportunity that's been seized, and, and we'll, we'll get down to that. But to establish this first, let's go to, to Matthew 16. And, and all of you know this story, this event, this happening. And Jesus comes to Caesarea Philippi and says, Whom do men say that I am? And now if we watch this really closely, what we have is a physical thing and a spiritual thing going on. And uh, so the disciples, they speak up and say, some say that you are John the Baptist. Some say that you were Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But who do you say that I am? And now what's interesting is we go from the physical name we go to a spiritual aspect. And this is why Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. Peter speaks up and says, thou art the Christ. Well, whom do, whom do men say that I am? Well, those men out there say that you're just another man with another name. But who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. And so really, you know, the Christ carries more than just a name again, Joe, Bill, something like that. An identification, the Christ is this overwhelming personality of who God is in the earth. And so now we have gone from, from what men call him, maybe Jesus of Nazareth, maybe some other things. Some of them didn't like him and called him some names that were probably derogatory. And so now Jesus does the same thing. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed. He calls him by his flesh name, right? Simon, son of Jonah. But now we're going to switch again because we're talking about a spiritual thing. And so we switch it from thou. Also, I say unto you, thou art Peter. And so he switches from the flesh thing to a name that he gave him. The world didn't give him that name. His father and mother did not give him that name. His friends did not give him that name. Jesus gave him that name, but it was a spiritual name. You understand, it's not just another flesh name. And now we know, you know, go to the book of Peter, and we just call him Peter, and then all through the Gospels and, and, and all through the book of Acts, we find the name Peter, but that was what Jesus called him, and if we go back to the, the Greek word that Jesus used, Petros, thou art Petros, but Petros in the spirit. He's Simon Barjona in the flesh. And he Jesus of Nazareth in the flesh. But thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God in the spirit. And so we have kind of two aspects here, and of course we know that People have said that, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church. But we've talked about this before. Those that haven't heard this, I'm sure most of you have studied this and, and looked at this. But, but Petros, 
is a small rock, a pebble. Uh, in Greek culture, they would take those little pebbles out of the walkways and throw them out of the way. There was something you could pick up, handle, throw away. But then Jesus said, but upon this Petra, upon the Petra, and so we went to Corinthians, the first chap- or, uh, 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and it uses that same word, Petra. Petra is not a rock that you can pick up and throw away. Petra, rather, is, is a solid rock that's buried deep in the earth that is above and below the earth that is jutting up. This is the definition that is jutting up as a rock cliff or a huge, unmovable boulder. We always think of the rock of Gibraltar. How many has ever looked in a little bit into the rock of Gibraltar? Just nod your head. We've got a couple. The rock of Gibraltar stands 14, almost 1,400 feet from the edge of the ocean sea level, 1,400 feet up, and no one knows how far it goes down in the earth. That rock is immovable. I mean, yes, we could attack it with, you know, atomic warfare, I guess, blow it up some way. But just looking at that rock is exactly the picture of what we have, the rock that the church will be built upon. That rock has not moved, Gibraltar. That rock will not move until the end of time. And so it's a really good picture if we look at Gibraltar and say, this is what the Lord was talking about when he said, I will build my church. He didn't build on Peter because Peter had some errors in his life. There were times that he needed to be picked out of the roadway and thrown out of the way. There was some stuff about him that God had to fix. And so he was not the rock, but rather the church was going to be built on Petra. That same rock, it says, it followed them in the wilderness. And now I get this kind of this look at what Moses struck. The rock. The reason why Moses got in trouble is because he really, he struck the revelation of God is what happened. This rock that they came to was, I was looking, when I was a kid, maybe I got this out of Bible stories when I was a kid. They came to a rock that looked like about the size of this piano, you know, round, and in my mind, I'm thinking, and, and, and Moses is, is hitting that rock. No, what they came to was like Gibraltar, a cliff, a place that was massive rock, and there he struck the rock. And there the water came out of the side of that cliff. I mean, typical Christ on the cross, the spear, the water. I mean, it's all going to tie together. And and I don't want to take the time this morning in that aspect. But Moses goes to the rock. God says, Come to the rock, and I will hide you there in the cleft of the rock. Moses isn't standing on pebbles. He's not standing on sand. 
not standing on things that fall. This, this is a view, a picture of how God... See, Moses was in the place of revelation. I want you to understand that you don't get in the place of revelation until you get in the rock. There's a lot of revelation going on, a lot of prophetic word going on out there, but it's not established on the rock. And if God is going to show Moses the first beginnings of time, where's it going to be from? It's going to be from the rock because I want you to know that the beginning of time was about the rock. It's all about Christ. And so if you're going to see anything in God, it's going to be upon the rock. It's going to be in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen? And so all typically through the Scripture, this thing about the rock, I, I had to go where David, the beloved of the Lord, our Lord quotes David so much. Psalms 18, Jehovah is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield, protector, the horn of my salvation and my high tower, verse 46 and 18. Jehovah liveth, blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Listen, listen, David, I don't know how David saw the things that he saw. He made so many references to the Lord, so many references to his death, his cross, made references to the life of Christ. And, and somehow David sees something here that other people aren't seeing. The priest down at the temple didn't see it, but David sees it. Jehovah is my rock. And if you go to the Hebrew, you're, you're going to find it's not Petra, of course. It's a Hebrew word, but it means exactly the same thing. A face of a cliff, something that cannot be moved, something that is grounded and established and stabled. It is so in the earth you can't move it. It's above the earth and it shows itself. But yet David understands that God, in, in essence, he said, God is my Petra. In other words, Petra is my God looking down through time he sees something he connects he connects to this Petra which is his salvation his rock, his deliverer his tower, his strength it's his shield what is it? this rock that's coming, there is a rock hewed out Daniel saw it, hewed out from the side of the mountain. And this rock was typifying the kingdom of God and it would begin to roll and it begin to consume all the other kingdoms. In other words, the kingdom of God is stronger. It is greater. There is no barriers. We can't stop it here. You talk about open borders. It's only in the kingdom of God. And I don't care who you are, what color you are, what nationality you are. This rock supersedes all governments and all rocks. And this rock is the stable foundation of salvation our strong tower see this is the rock concept that Jesus said and upon this rock I will build my ecclesia 
the, the wording, let me, let me just read it to you this way. I will build, in the Greek rendering, I will build the ecclesia, or church, of me. Genitive case. Of me. The church is not, is not built on personalities. When the church gets to being built on personalities, it has left the rock. So, the church, the real church that the Lord will build upon the Petra, upon the rock, it's of Him. It will look like Him. The real church doesn't look like hell. The real church doesn't look like the world. The real church doesn't act like the world. It's built upon the solidness, unchangeable, of who He is, what He is, not just today, but yesterday, 2,000 years ago, today, and forever. As long as there is an ecclesia, an ecclesia has been birthed, it will look like Him. Can you say amen? I don't care what kind of styles and tides of, uh, of fashions come along. The church is going to look like Jesus Christ. And when we take it into another area, we have left off the rock. It's just that simple. The church will sound like Jesus sounded. It will say the things that Jesus said. Come on. You'll hear in the real church, you will hear the voice of the Lord. There's a lot of sounds out there. Again, the apostle said there's all kinds of sounds out there. Many different things going on out there. But there is only one sound that sounds like the Lord. There's not many. There's not a lot. There's not variation. You know, I know that variety is the spice of life, but variety is not the spice of the gospel. There is one sound, and that's a true sound. That's a steady sound. That's a sound that we can hold to. Amen. The proceeding of the church will be after the manner of His ministry. Anything else has left the rock. I've wondered a lot of years. I've, I've been, you know, I, I know people think I'm a fuddy-duddy, but I was a fuddy-duddy at 30 years old. I mean, I didn't take, I didn't have to be as old as I am now. Begin to develop a hate for things that did not look right to me as being the church of God. And started to call those out, you know, whoever would listen. But the manner in which ministry is done, if it is not done like he did it, it's not on the rock. I don't care how many tongues you speak or how many prophetic words that are given. If it doesn't look, sound, and act like him, it's not built on the rock. It'll crumble. 
They said the other day, boy, I wish this, this certain ministry that's going on, so-called ministry, boy, I wish, you know, it's, it's a lot of lying going on, a lot of different things, you know, prophetic foolishness going on. I wish that thing would crumble. I said, it's not going to. It's not going to. You know, why do the heathen prosper? Why do they go on saying vain things and nothing happens to them? But there will come a time of measurement. Was it built on hay, wood, and stubble? Was it built upon the rock? And so, you know, it's, it's kind of a, the Lord did this, and I, he's smarter than I am. But he said, let the wheat and the tares grow up together. And I don't like it. I want him to call the tares out. Can you say amen? I want him to put label on them so that we'll know who they are. But the way that we're going to know who they are is who builds where. And on what. And on what's happening. Listen, the church, his DNA is going to be all over it. We talk about the blood. We just sing about the blood. I don't know. You, you know his DNA is in that blood. When you cut the blood out, a lot, of, a lot of churches have cut out blood songs. They've cut out, don't want to talk about the blood. John MacArthur said the blood is nothing more than just, just body fluids. That's all it is. Jesus' blood was just body fluids. That's okay, John. You have a good time with that. But his DNA is on his church. For we are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are purchased by his blood. He's got his fingerprints on his church. Can you say, hey, man, they're going to go test and figure out, figure out who's been there. You're going to find that the Lord is in his church. Amen, amen, amen. And so the Lord never, um, oh, no, wait, I got ahead of myself here. His DNA is over it, and there's a global expansion of his kingdom and his glory. Let me also say this. If it's not a promotion of the kingdom of God building upon the rock, then it's not on the rock. If it's not to His glory, it's not on the rock. And so the importance of what He is doing, and you know all the scriptures leading up that I just read to you, just quoted to you, where Jesus is the rock. He did not ascend into heaven and give somebody else the baton. That, that's tough for, I know we believe that, but it's just in case you don't. He ascended into glory and then, then he handed it to the next person in line. No, no, no. He gave that away when he said, I will build. I will build the church of me. Not of signs, wonders, and miracles. Not of prophecy and words of knowledge. I will build the church of me. If he's going to build the church of him and he's going to do it, then he can't go away and send another person to take that place. I'm sorry. It was a turnaround trip. His ascension into glory was a turnaround trip. And on the day of Pentecost, another person didn't show up. They would not have received the spirit of another person. But Jesus himself showed up 
on the day of Pentecost. And he is the one who baptizes with the fire and the Holy Spirit of God. He is the one who breathed into his disciples and said, Receive ye the Spirit of God. And he was there on the day of Pentecost. He showed up and he began to build his church that very day when it arrived, the fullness of Pentecost, that morning, that day, he began to build his church. He is the archagon. I know Brother Chris likes this word. We, we refer to this occasionally. It's found in Hebrews 12 and 2, other places in the New Testament. He is the archagon. That word just literally means the designer and architect and the contractor, the builder. It's the one who sets something out and then leads it. It's not somebody who says, do what I say and don't do what I do. Just do what I say. No, it's the leader. The person designs it. Then he leads into it. He drew up the plan. He was the architect. He, he drew up how he wanted the church to be. The church was going to be of him. He draws it up and then he goes to work. He's the guy. Well, we'll just bring it down to... to to our term. He's the guy with a with a nail belt on. He's got that the, the hammer. He's got all the tools. He's got he's got all the stuff. He's got the saw in his hand. Sweat's dripping down off of him. He's cutting the boards. He's laying them in place. All the tools, he's got them going because he is not just the author, but he is the finisher. And so he not only just says, well, we're just, you know, you all build the church. He didn't give the building of the church to you and I. That's why I refuse to go to, to seminars to tell you how to grow a church. They don't know how to grow a church. They know how to put a church together for them. But only the Lord can add to the church daily such as is being saved. And I'm not going to a seminar to see if I can get us bigger. I like us how we are. If we never add another person to this body, then I say, then the Lord's just going to have his way in it. Amen. It's the Lord that builds the church. If the Lord does not build the house, those that labor, labor how? In vain. You're out there hammering away for no good reason, no cause. And, and so he never lets go of being the supreme rabbi over the church. I love that because Jesus is with us. Hallelujah. But upon his physical departure from the earth, I must go away. John 14 is, is, is kind of the uh, description of what happens, his going away and his coming back. I must go away. I have to go away. Because if I go away, I'm going to come again. But I'm not going to be one person in one place at one time which Jesus was. Never a point in his ministry was he here, was he in Jerusalem, and, and up in Galilee at the same time, preaching two different... No, 
No, no, he never was. Never, never was, was it that he was one person in one place at one time. But when I return, greater things than these shall you do. Well, I'm looking to do bigger things than what Jesus did. He did some of that, but we're going to do. No, no, no. It's an expansion, an expansion of what he did. And you do it his way, under his direction, his guidance, and under his empowering. You don't get gifts of your own. It's another message for another time, but God's not giving you gifts of your own so you can go do your thing. It's all built on him. So that all glory goes to him, all honor goes to him. Glory does not go to us. But in this leaving, it opened an opportunity. It opened a false opportunity. It opened an opportunity for men to creep in unaware. Men with the wrong purpose. Men with the wrong idea, the wrong desire about the kingdom. And so where we're at this morning, I think we have to take a good look at this. Jesus talked about false, t- false teachers would come, false prophets would come. The, the apostles drummed this to the church. False apostles would creep in. Jesus said, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Matthew 24. But there's a double entendre here. Many could come saying, I am, or I am the Christ personally myself, but I really think it also means this. Many preachers will come preaching that Jesus is, I am, and still deceiving many. I mean, the proof of that right now. Go, we'll just take Bethel. Go to the Bethel music. You're going to hear them proclaiming Jesus. But it's not built on the rock. But it's saying Jesus. It's saying that Jesus is. And they'll say it. They'll take the mic and say that. And then they'll go off on their crazy moshing and whatever it is that they do. It's just absolutely not of God at all. It does not worship the Lord. It worships flesh. It worships everything else. It does not worship the Lord. And yet they will use the name of the Lord and say, I am. So I think you have... This like this double meaning of the scripture that many will come saying, I am. I think there was people in that day that said they were the Messiah. And we just heard not too long ago, who was it that that, that said they were equal? Was it was it Kenneth Copeland? I've heard him say, I am an only begotten Son of God. Oh, watch it. You're adopted, but you're not an only begotten Son of God. There's only one. Can you say amen? Everything built upon him and not you and I. And so listen. I am so stirred up and fed up. I have been. Uh, the Lord is, is just moving this in me. Denominations and organizations have taken a false opportunity. Never. Did Jesus say organize something and call it church? Never once. Never did the apostles say 
we're going to come together doctrinally and those that don't agree with us can go to another. They never did that because they stood on one gospel which was the rock of all Christian faith. And so for how many years, Baptists, Pentecostals, Apostolics, all kinds of beliefs, have preached for years that the false church is the Roman Catholic Church. If you've heard that, say amen. David Hunt, read his book. The woman that rides the beast. The Roman Catholicism, so we can trace them and see that everything in the Roman Church is wrong. There is nothing, there is no doctrine they have that stands upon the rock. None. Every one of them is wrong. Man, it's an easy pick for us. It's too easy. They're not the false church. They're just false. It's like the Mormon church. We're going to pin it on them. They are the false church. So, so David Hunt ties the Roman Catholic Church with the Antichrist and the 666. And we got this big package that, that they worship. They, they worship the wrong thing. And they are. They worship Mary. They worship all kinds of stuff. It's so That's too easy. I can see that so quick, so easy. Any of you can see that. They've got idols. They've got just all kinds of stuff. And it's easy for us to pick out. I'll tell you what's not easy for you to pick out. It's the false church. The false church is like Democrats. What they are condemning people of, they are doing. I mean, we just found that. I'm, I'm not, you know, if you're a Democrat here this morning, the Lord will save you. I mean, that's, it's no problem. No problem. We're good. It's all fine. But the very thing that's happening, listen. The false church exists inside the real church. It's too easy for us to look at Catholics. It's too easy for us to look at Jehovah's Witnesses. Too easy for us to look at Mormons and say, oh, they're on the wrong path. They're on. But people that actually say the words Jesus and, and say the word salvation and say, I want you to raise your hand and we're going to pray a prayer and, and you all are saved. That's really, boy, we're just treading on, we're treading on dangerous territory to say that that's not of God. I'm going to say again right in the middle of this, anything that is not built upon the rock is not his church. So how do we identify what is really the church of the Lord and really other things if they're built on the rock? That's, that's, that's the judgment of this. Not my idea of how I feel about the Scripture and how I interpret it. That has nothing to do with men's salvation is if it's built upon the rock. Can you say amen? And so in the, inside the church, we have men and women. Very popular. I'm, that's easy for me too. The women that are traipsing around the country making millions of dollars. That's, that's easy for me too. That's not built on the rock. It's period. But we have men and women posing as genuine men and women of God when in reality... They are con people extraordinaire. 
Oh, yeah. Gifted charlatans. The prerequisite of a charlatan is that they have the ability to fake sincerity. I was with a guy. The Lord helped me with this. I was with a guy, and some of you were too, that was a charlatan pastor. And I didn't even know it. Until it began to be exposed to me by the Spirit of the Lord. The man could come in on Sunday morning, cry, preach, lay hands on people, prophesy, words of wisdom. And the night before, he was out running around with women. Incredible! How can this even happen? But he had figured this out. That's my past, and now I'm here. And so, yes, I have a past. Well, his past was last night. Charlatan. I, man, I'm telling you what, I never knew one. Slick talking, people in his pocket, able to manipulate. Unbelievable power of a charlatan is just unbelievable. We have a little old man who is a loudmouth smart aleck who has exacted $750 million out of the kingdom of God into his pocket. He is so slick. He is so cool. Using phrases that, you know, Christian catchphrases and, and people don't, don't touch God's anointing. I will tell you right now, that if that's anointing, I'm going the wrong direction. That's not built on the rock. Let me tell you what's built on. Let me, let me show you the difference. And I don't just want to pump up my Uncle Skip, but my Uncle Skip has zero in the bank, pretty much. He had a little bit of money that came from his mom when, when she died, and they sold her house. That's all the money he had. Has spent his life, his wages, everything he has to the gospel, to preach the gospel, and he's not taking from the kingdom. He is adding to the kingdom. He's building on the rock. And what they're doing is establishing churches. Churches are being built on the rock. Pastors are being built on the rock. We support that. Can the church say amen? What I'm not going to support is loudmouth, smart aleck people who think they're above everybody else. They're charlatans. They've got in the church. They're stealing the funds of the church. They're stealing the gospel. And they are making wealth for themselves. I hate it. I'm sorry, I hate it. They took opportunity, but it's false opportunity. Founders of mega movements. God's not in the mega movement. I'm just going to say that, just out of privilege this morning. You know, sometimes Paul just said, the Lord's not speaking here, but I am. And Brother Dustin, he had a weighty voice, didn't he? And so I'm going to weigh in. However weighty my voice is, God is not building mega churches. God is not building mega works. I mean, we've been talking about this. You get to a place where you are no longer a koinonia body that you know each other and love each other and accountable to each other and ministering to each other. When you get past that place, 
You need to split that off. Start it, let them start another church and have churches that really are brothers. They're really a community of Christ. They really love each other. How are they going to know that you're my disciple? They, because of your love one for another. Because we do care when one is hurting. We do rejoice and exalt when one gets a favor and an exaltation. We are with each other. We're on the same team. We are partners in this thing. And God's not building mega structures that really are just a front. They're a fake. They're a phony. They're a fraud. They're looking for wages and money that they don't earn and shouldn't have and the church is supplying that for them you know my little voice isn't going too far but everybody having a good time say amen <laughs> so founders of megastructures look in the part they manipulate people what do they manipulate people to men worship Doctrine and dogma worship. Separation. Money worship. You think it's not going on? Money is being worshipped right in the middle of the church. And stupid. Everybody say stupid. I know we don't call people stupid. Stupid people are supporting it. They're losing their money. Planting it, planting it in, in good ground. No, they're not. They're planting it in hell. It will not spring up. It will not bless them. These men are teaching us faith worship. They're teaching us music worship. But not Rabbi Yeshua, Jesus, preeminent in all things in the church worship. I want to go to Romans 12 chapter. And uh, for all of you that are not having a good time, I'm going to be done here in about a little while. Romans, the first chapter, we can say it verbatim pretty much. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And what? Be not conformed to this world. Be ye be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Right? Let me do this. Do you believe that this scripture that we just quoted could be used corporately? Not just singularly. We read it as though Paul is speaking to an individual. Each one of you individuals present your body a living sacrifice, which is probably, yes, that's probably true. But what if we were to make that the church? We are the body of Christ, right? Present your body, church in Rome. Present your body to the Lord. Holy and acceptable. Be not conformed of this world, church of Rome. But be transformed, the whole bunch of you, by the renewing of your mind in Christ Jesus that the church itself stays on the rock. And I know the belief, the belief is, is this, sort of, you know, we collectively take everybody, you know, in the links of the chain, and so we're all links of the chain, and we all make it up. No, listen, there's something more important than the individual. 
And it's called the church of Jesus Christ. There's something more important than you and you and you and you sitting in this place. Whether you are here or not, the gospel of the Jesus Christ, the church of the living God established on the rock, must endure. So People can fall away. You can be absent from your place. But, but church, present whatever it is, whoever is there. Whoever is preaching, whoever is speaking, whatever you are doing in music, whatever you are doing in teaching, whatever you are doing, build this on the rock. Don't build it on the customs of the world. Be not transformed to what the world is doing. I mean, it's a fight for preachers like me and us that have to stand out and say, no, we're not going to what makes people come through the door. I'm not doing it. I'm a flat not doing it. I'm too old. I don't have the energy for that mess. Trying to appease people. Man, I love it. We finally got to the place where we don't have to appease people every week. Thank you, Jesus. Walking around on rice paper trying not to offend people. I've got my feet right on the ground now. I'm just walking around. Thank you, Lord. Nobody is offended. It's awesome. It's the way the church should be. And so, can we, if we can take Romans 12, can we take 1 Timothy 6 and 10, Brother Chris? What is 1 Timothy 6 and 10? You taught on it the other night. The love of money is the root of some place that says all evils or Many evils. It's evil. The love of money is evil. Let's put it that way. So, we're going to teach our young guys. You know, you got you a job, and you got you a job, and the love of money is evil, brothers. Don't love money. But when we get to church, we change it all. Because now we're known by how we look to the world. And acceptable by our buildings, and acceptable by our format and our platform and how many screens we have in the church and, and how good our, our projection system is, how our music sounds right on and everything. The Lord doesn't care anything about music. He had 11 sailors singing with Him. And it was glory. Is it possible that we've taken the Scripture so individually that we have forgot about corporately? It is against the will of God. I'm going to say this. I'm going to step right out there. I'm going to say it. It's against the will of God that churches should love money. Sorry. No, that's for the individual. So as long as you're, you know, Subjecting yourself and, and living in poverty, and then, oh, this is, this is great. See, this was the Roman church. All the people live in poverty, and they built cathedrals that were just outstanding still to this day. All, Dustin has talked about seeing them all over Europe, these fantastic, what we would call multi-million, billion-dollar cathedrals. That's okay. No, it's not. The early church had nothing like that. 
but they turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. And the countries that they went to, they did not build such things. That didn't come in until the second, third century when people figured out, like David figured out, I live in this nice house and God's in that tent. I'm going to build him a house that looks good so people can come there and they'll know that, that God is wealthy and that things are good and God's people are wealthy. I'm against it. I stand opposed to it this morning. There is something better than that, greater than that. I'm not looking for a building that's going to astound people or, or accommodate people what I'm looking for is that we build our church upon the rock of Jesus Christ because it will stand it will stand and when hard times come it will stand and when other people go other directions it will stand and when governments turn against the church of the Lord it will stand these churches that are siding with the government to look Oh, Lord help us. Lord help us. We're going to preach against it. All of our preacher brothers say amen. Show me one place where Jesus said you need to stay up with the times. Well, pastor, that was, you know, 2,000 years ago, and they were wearing sandals and everything, and uh, robes and sandals and stuff. So we stay up with the times. We bring, we bring God up with the times. Show me one place. Because when we build something that's not of Him, that's what it is. It's of flesh. It's of men. It's of stuff. I heard years ago we need to be cutting edge. Has anybody else ever heard that? You know, with our, our sermons and ministry, and we need to be cutting edge, right on the edge. No? No, no, no. I'm getting as far away from the edge as I can get. I'm not trying to be cutting edge. I don't want to be cutting edge. This church isn't going to be cutting edge. Cutting edge is, you know, for those downtown Tulsa that are doing the newest, greatest thing and calling it God. Not interested in that. The Lord's not interested in that. They're appealing to the lost to stay lost. Mm -hmm. The church has fallen off course so bad, it now feels its function is to impress the world and to entertain sinners as they go to hell. This has become the commission of the church. It's not built on the rock. It's a false opportunity. You say, well, Pastor, you know, wow. Sometimes going to church, you know, we don't have what everybody else has. We don't have all the fun and games and foolishness that everybody else has. Well, Rodney's going to try and help with the kids. I know the kids are foolish. Everybody knows that you, you, young people are foolish. Yeah, have a good time, and they like to get, a, get together and yell and scream. And, but at the core of that, Pastor Rodney, is we've got one purpose for youth here, and it's not fun. Fun is for the world. Can we have some good times? Yes. That's not our core purpose. Our core purpose is to build a youth group upon the rock, Christ, Jesus. And I will build of me my church. So that's where we're going. Can everybody say amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord began to minister something into my heart before we left California. I talked to my son a little bit about it. I guess he's not done yet. 
Elsewise, we would be in a nice, fine-looking church like every other church around here and having church. But the Lord spoke some things to me, and I tried to get away from it. Jonah, you know, the Lord spoke some things to him, too. He said, you're going down in the belly of the whale. Well, I don't know that this is the belly of the whale, but, it, you know, it's not ours, right? No. But the Lord spoke some things to me, and I'm going to have to stay with it. Put some words in my heart about the church. Plain. Simple and functional. Does the church need to be anything beyond that? And if it does, I need to know why. Jesus' message was very plain. Come on, say amen. It was plain. It was to the point. See, we have, we have an old religion. <laughs> And I have trouble making it new because we've got an old gospel. We've got an old reality. We've got an old truth. It didn't come from this age. It came from 2,000 years ago. It came from Iraq. The only thing that's new about this whole thing is a fresh revelation of the old. Swallow that for a minute. That's the only new you're going to get in Christ is a fresh revelation of his oldness. Man, he's been here forever. He is ancient of days. Somebody say amen. He is not, he didn't just arrive on the scene and now he's doing new and great and mighty different little things, you know, that the church can, can have such a great and wonderful time. And no, this thing was established when Jesus said, I'm establishing this thing on the Petra. That's where it still stands. And we're going back to it. Can you say amen? And so, Lord, help us. Lord, help us to realize somebody, somebody needs to find the rock. Need to dig down. And Jesus said, dig down to the rock. Through the layers of debris, through the sick religious sediment that has fallen over the rock, somebody needs to get serious about this thing and begin to begin to start preaching Jesus Christ, the rabbi. Somebody needs to get serious about this gospel and begin to preach it right again. Can you say amen? And we're going to do it by the help of God. Would you stand? God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for the things that we said. I hope that you can take them to heart. If you don't believe anything that I said, go home and take it up with the Lord. And uh, study it out yourself. That's fine. I don't claim to have all knowledge and wisdom, but I am going to speak in the light that we have. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this good day. Thank you for what you have done here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your presence, for your healing. We're so glad Jake is here this morning. God, just like you to bring him here today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for worship today and prayer and, and just, just staying before you, Lord, for your word. We ask God that you would just be with us. Bring us back tonight in your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Let's give the Lord a 